Coyote Edelstein here, your celeb expert and your celeb savant. Celeb Savant is a weekly entertainment show. We have long-form career retrospective type interviews with celebrities, singers, actors, and industry experts. Will Burkhart is a Los Angeles-based stand-up comedian and actor. After growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area, at just 21, moved out to Los Angeles and quickly established himself as one of the hardest-working young comics on the scene. Thanks to the massive popularity of his stand-up clips on social media, Will's fan base has skyrocketed over the past few years, amassing over 500,000 followers and more than 150 million views. Currently, Will is in the midst of his first American tour selling out venues all across the country. Up next on Celebs Vint, we've got Will Burkhart. Where do we find you in the world? How are you doing and what's happening in your life? Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Um, things are good. I'm home in Los Angeles. I'm on tour right now in the midst of a tour uh, that's going through all this year. Uh, I leave to go to Raleigh, North Carolina and Charlotte, North Carolina next week. And um, yeah, I've had about two weeks off in town, uh, starting to get a little antsy, ready to get out again. But I'm feeling good, man. Things are good. Working hard. Cool. So now let's rewind to the very beginning. Sure. At what age did you realize, cool, I'm funny <laughs> And I want to uh, proceed in the journey of being a comedian. And how did that story accumulate to where we are today? Yeah, I mean, I'm still trying to figure out if I'm funny or not, to be honest. <laughs> um, no, I think I think my I realized when I was a kid, my favorite thing to do was just make my friends laugh. It was just like my favorite thing, like at the lunch table, like like if I had the same class with if I was alone, had no friends, I probably got like an A minus. If I had friends in the class, I probably got a C minus. Cause I just loved messing around. It was too much fun. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't care about school. I was never like, cause I knew I wanted to be in entertainment. So I was never like, Ooh, I need to make sure to get straight A's so I can go to a school so I can become an engineer. It was always like, I want to be in entertainment somehow. So yeah. let me just do the, do enough to get by basically. And I grew up with two parents that were really, that really did a good job of culturing me with like, uh, movies, TV, stand up, just like art in general. They just mm -hmm. educated me from a young age. So I was always really interested in. The behind the scenes of movies and watching stand-up specials and i was just like from a really young age and that just always really stuck with me and i loved stand-up growing up like dane cook was my guy growing up in my era that was like our guy and i would like act out his like jokes and stuff at like lunch with my friends and then i did for for an english class senior year of high school so i was 17 uh there was this project called the challenge project uh, and our teacher was a, a little bit like kind of avant-garde. I don't know if you've ever seen like Dead Poet Society, you know, people mm, like yeah. standing on desks, that type of yeah. vibe. Yeah. And it was like, do something that challenges you. And a lot of kids were like, oh, I'm going to go camp outside for a week, or I'm going to cook myself every meal for the night, for every night. And I was like, I'm going to do stand-up comedy. And and I did it when I was 17 at some in San Francisco, California, with um, just some random open mic. And I was really proud of myself. And I did it once when I was 19, again, when I was in college. And then when I was 21, in my last year of college, I decided to like really get into it. And um, and I was at film school at the time, realizing that I didn't want to work behind the scenes in movies. It's just so boring and not glamorous at all. And I just wasn't into the workflow of that. And I was like, I, I one day want to direct, but I was like, this is not, I don't want to be stuck on a film set getting coffee for 13 hours a day at 6am. That's just yeah. not my life. So, um, so I started doing stand up and then I moved right to LA after that, after I graduated uh, film school in Chicago 
and then went right to LA and just have done it ever since almost every night. What did you study at film school? It was actually cinema production. That was okay. the actual specialty. So it was very much just like filmmaking in general. And I took screenwriting classes. I took acting classes. I took uh, sound design classes. I took all sorts of stuff. So I really mm-hmm. got a good like breadth of just everything uh, yes. in, in film. And I was really, really thankful for that. I had such a great time. I learned a ton. I mean, also, also going to school for film is like hilarious. I mean, people, I had buddies who are in horrendous math classes and horrible philosophy classes. And I'm literally like watching Star Wars. That's my homework. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. It's like, it's like the biggest cheat code of, of any sort of school. I'm so, I wouldn't change a thing. And it was a decent school too. Yeah. yeah. So were the exams or was it more like projects they had to create for your you know, get into year two, year three, and to then uh, graduate. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's funny. I barely even remember like what the, because I definitely think we were tested on like theories and like a lighting setup. You had to kind of draw like what the system is. There was, I remember well, a lot of it was writing papers. So we'd watch a film and then like analyze it. And I remember oh, okay. I had to write like a, write like a, like a 20 page paper on the movie Risky Business with Tom Cruise. I remember yeah. having to do that. And like, it was a fun challenge. I mean, I'm just so lucky that I did that as opposed to anything else. Cause I was like, I was like enjoying it. This isn't like homework. It's like watching movies and writing about them. Like yeah. this is what I did for fun when I was a kid, you know, when you watch movies now, do you yeah. still go into that analytical brain and unpack it or you can you just sit back and relax and enjoy it? I think both. More so I can sit back and relax. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um I I I also I like to enjoy things. I'm not one of those people that enjoys being critical. I okay. like liking something. I don't like people who like hate watch stuff. Mm. Like I'm if I watch something, I am ready and I want to love it, you know? And so I'm not as critical as maybe I could be, but but yeah, some, or sometimes it'll be critical in a good way. I'm like, oh, wow, what a great shot that is. Or, oh, yeah, I yeah. love his lighting. I love how they, I love the choice that they made. Mm. For sure. Yeah. And I've always been like that. Yeah. So now let's dive into the brain and the world of a comedian. So for those people who just go to the show, sit back and relax and laugh at the jokes in the set, tell us what goes into creating that and planning it for the audience. Yeah. I mean, so much goes into it. There's, it's like a science. It really is. I mean, it's, it takes so, the first thing is just, it takes so many years to get comfortable on the stage. That's like the first thing is being able to be up there and talk to people and public speaking, which is most people's like number one fears. It's the first thing is just being comfortable. And then you take the comfortability, which I always kind of had because I did some, I did a lot of acting in my younger life and my college life. So it's, I was always very comfortable talking in front of people. And then from there, it's like, you try to translate what I think is funny to make you go, oh, I agree. That's the whole thing is you get someone to relate to what you're saying and be unexpected because something's funny when you don't see it coming. That's all of comedy, basically. You have to do it and go to these open mics so much to then get a sense of how to write a joke and what people respond to through a ton of failure. You just have to fail so much to then, and then when you get a glimpse of something like, oh, this works, now I need to do more of that basically. And you just keep iterating on that for years and getting more comfortable studying stand-up, how people structure a joke, and you just get more comfortable. The key is that you just have to keep doing it. And that's all it was. It was people quit so easily because they realize how hard it is. It's hard to do well. It's hard to get shows. It's hard to have fun. It's it's dark. It gets sad. It's so hard. Bombing on stage is insane. It's a crazy thing to do. And so you just have to like if you keep doing it, you like anything, you just get better. Yes. Like I'm sure as an interviewer, I'm sure you've done it now a bunch of times where you're so much more comfortable than you were the first time. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's a lot of what it is. It's just like the repetition of just getting more comfortable yeah. and figuring out what people will respond to in a way. So that's kind of like the big scale of, of how I look at stand up. Those periods of times when you kept on failing and failing and failing at, you know, open mic nights and that, what was the thing that 
got you up and said, okay, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to practice and get more and more instead of saying, okay, I can't do this. I mean, there were moments where I was like, this is, is this too hard for me? This could be too sad. I don't know if I'm enjoying this very much. I wanted to be successful so badly that I didn't care. I also, what helped me is that I knew that everybody went through the same thing. My situation was not unique to myself. Mm -hmm. Everyone is bad at it at first. And it's just how it works. You're just so rarely, unless you're like Dave Chappelle or Eddie Murphy at 17, you're not going to get up and just be so funny. You're just not. And unless you're like a genius, right? I've just always wanted to be successful. And in my mind, it's being successful is like, touring and headlining as a comedian have people pay to come see you that's what i wanted i was like i just want to be get to that point and so i wanted that so badly that i said i do i'll do whatever it takes to get there and take whatever lumps whatever losses it takes to get there because i just i wanted it so badly that feeling was more at the surface than oh this is sad this hurts my feelings when i'm bombing that feeling is more important to me so how long did it take you to get to that point um of like touring and headlining uh i want to let me do the math it would be I'd say about eight years. Oh, wow. About eight years. And so this is this year, 2023, is the first year where I am touring as a headliner. And okay. that started in basically like January. It's when I consistently started doing it. So yeah, and I started, yeah, in October of 2014. So yeah, a little about, about, you know, a little over eight years to get there. You do obviously your headlining shows as touring. Do you ever do a show where it's a bunch of comedians together, one after the next, and each of you have like 10 or 15 minutes to perform? Oh, yeah. I've, I have two of those tonight. Yeah, and all the time. What- what is the difference between doing that with the other bunch of comedians compared to when you're headlining your own show? Yeah, it's a good question. These are all really good questions. Um, it, it's, it's so different because if you're doing, if I'm doing, you know, if you headline a show, you have to do minimum 45 minutes. Yeah. Usually I do about 50. I like 50. 50 is nice. It's not too much. It's not too little. Yeah. Um, and so if I'm doing 10 minutes, it's like mainly just, you just pick a, it's so much less material. And you have way less time to like kind of breathe and explore the space and maybe talk to a few people. It's yeah. like, if I'm, if I'm going to do 10 minutes, like I'm on a mission and I'm working on a specific few things in that mm-hmm. 10 minutes. Right. And what's different is that the big difference actually is that, is that most of the time people don't know who you are. So you okay. have to, you have to win them over. Mm. Uh, it's harder to win them over. If I do my shows, most of the people know who I am. So they yeah. already like me. The base yeah. level of, I like this guy enough. I like him at some level. I may not love him, yeah. but I like that. I've seen maybe one video that I like. So I'm already like ready to be like, I think I like this guy. Yeah. But if you go up in front of a room of people that have no idea who you are, mm. those first few minutes, you need to basically convince them. You need them to earn your trust. Yeah. That's what it is. Can I, can I trust that this is going to be a fun time for me? Right. Yeah. And that's why the first minute or two are like the most important because that it, it's when you get up on stage, everybody is immediately judging you. It's the most judgmental art form. You get on stage and immediately people are like, look at this guy's clothes. Look at his energy. He, he took the mic out weird. It's like, you're immediately like, what's this guy's deal? I yeah. don't know who he is. Right. Yeah, yeah. So if I do my own shows, none of that's there. And I can just, I already have just like, ah, oh, they, they know me. It's okay. I can just be myself. Would you say that comedies or being a comedian is one of the most challenging live shows in the sense? Because if you watch an artist, a singer, they've got a band there supporting them or dancers. When you go to the theater, there's a bunch of different characters, unless it's a one person show. So you have to hold the energy of the room for that period of time by yourself. Do you feel it's a heavy burden to have or more of a challenge to like, let's go and do it? It's absolutely harder. Absolutely. I think it's probably the hardest art form because mm. you don't really have lines. If you go do theater, you have lines. And yes. if you memorize your lines, you just got to remember your lines, right? And mm. stand up, sure, the jokes are lines in a way, but mm. it's, you can be, 
it, they can be every little moment can change a pause. It's all very, it's, 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 you know, it's a lot looser and yeah, you're right. It's, there's no one behind you to help it, So it's almost like if you succeed, it's on you. If you fail, it's also on you, which yeah. I like. I personally, I'm a bit of a control freak. I like that. It's all on me. I like that. I don't have to worry about anybody else or trust anybody else or, Oh, yeah. the bass player had a rough night. Hey, the drummer got broken up with it's <laughs> and same with improv. Improv is the same type of thing where you this whole group of people and they're like, hopefully they're feeling good tonight. Hopefully yes. they got enough sleep. But I like that it's just, it's all on me. And, okay. but on the flip side, I also envy like musicians. Like I've always envied like a musician that can go out there and just play a song and they just play the song and that's all they have to do. Like a, like a, like a rapper, for example, goes on and he just does his songs. Mm. That's awesome. He can be drunk. He can be fucking high. Excuse my language. I mean, yeah. he can be just, I envy that so much. My, I have to be so dialed in and so yeah. locked in that mm. like I, I cannot do that. Some people do it. Maybe I will when I'm, been doing it for longer but i just i envy the looseness of yes. the other artists because okay. we just can't you just can't do that i am so meticulous in everything i do the day of a big show i'm like with my caffeine intake my alcohol intake like everything is how much weed i smoked the night before i'm very like it's all i wish i was a musician so i don't have to worry about that <laughs> what inspires your comedy is it experiences that you've had or observations of the world or experience of friends or all of that combined yeah, all of that combined. All those are all the things. Yep. And it's I I have I've said this before that I'm I'm never the type of dude who sits down at a laptop and he's like, all right, what's funny? What's a funny thing? Oh, you know, oh, a window. What's funny about a window? Let me think of window. It's like I just can't, I'm just not that dude. I will be just something will hit me and I'll just be like in my car and be like, and all of a sudden I'll be like thinking about a joke and then working the joke out in my head. Mm. And then I'll just write it down in my my note, my notes app of my phone. And then I'll just build it from there and try to structure it into some sort of a joke. And then I'll go on stage and then try it. And then it'll be like, Oh, okay. Of the four beats, one of them works. Cool. Let me take that one and like build that out. Cause I have one part that works. Let me take the one part that works. Right. Um, So it's really just, it's it. those oftentimes mainly I only write like after shows just because I'm I'm so in stand-up mode that on the yeah. way home, that's I do 90% of my writing. I flip on my video camera on my phone in the phone dock where I'm driving, and I'll mm. just record myself talking stuff out, basically. So it's just stuff that just comes to me. It can be anything, anything. But I, I always try to make it where uh, people can relate to it on some level. I think that's I, I always make sure I always like when the audience is all on the same page. I don't okay. like like these like niche references or oh half the crowd's gonna love this half the crowd's gonna hate it. I don't know. I don't like yeah. that stuff. Yeah. I want everybody to be like, yeah, man, been there. Okay. I like that. When you're doing a headlining show that 40, 50 minutes, you obviously there's a a thread that flows through to the, the whole show, and you have to create different uh, topics and comedy around the different topics, but then pull that three thread together. How often do you change that thread completely? In your headlining show, is it like once every six months, once yeah. a year, once a month? Yeah, no, that's that's great. I mean, I'd say every every few months probably. Yeah, okay. I'll I'll sub in and out a few jokes here and there, but like the common structure of it has stayed the same. And I've probably let's say of this year, let's say I've been doing this tour for ten months, right? I've been doing this 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 hour for the last like ten months. I've probably changed the structure of it like in a in a in a, in a substantial way, maybe three times, three okay. four times, I'd say, yeah, substantially, because I'll always sub jokes in and out mess with the order a little bit, but like the whole structure of the stuff, um, I've definitely changed. And I've also found a, a, a really important joke that, that I end my set with like a callback with. Yeah. And I didn't have that joke for the first, I don't know, three, four months of the tour. And so I like, ha- I found that basically like halfway through and it kind of changed how I ended my set and how I started my set. So that's a pretty substantial change. Um, 
So yeah, I'd say maybe like three or four times, I'd say. Okay. And I'm, and I'm also continuing to do that. And I'm, I'm always, I never f- feel like I'm, oh, I have it all figured out. Oh, okay. this is the set. I'm like, no way. I'm always open to changing stuff, adding stuff, taking stuff away. Oh yeah, for sure. But it's nice because you can keep those that stuff in your back pocket though, which is nice. Exactly. If I if I put out some sort of special, even if it's like a 15 minute special, I try not to do that material again. And then I have, but I have all these other jokes in my back pocket that maybe I put down and don't fit within the through line, as you said. And yeah. then I have those jokes like, oh, I can put those back in and try yeah. to then weave it all together somehow. So it's very scientific and I think it's it's fun. I'm like a nerd with it. <laughs> Let's dive into when you're doing interaction with the audience. Do you enjoy doing that? And obviously, if they're in the front row, they're going to have to be expected to know to sort of be spoken to or picked on or joked about. Have you ever had instances where it was like, oh, maybe not that person? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, And do I enjoy doing it? Mostly, yes. Sometimes the way the business is right now, it's, you know, the mainly the clips that I put out online are crowd work clips because yeah. I don't want to give away my jokes before people, yes. you know, see them live, right? Yeah. So it's, it's strategic. There is sometimes where I'm like, I feel like I'm chasing content a little bit. Like I'm on stage and I'm like, oh, I need to get some clips from this show. And I don't love that. I mm. kind of missed when it was just the art form and I can just go do jokes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's one side of it, right? But then the other side, it's also really fun. When a crowd work moment like works well, mm. that is going to be your biggest laugh of the night or at least top three. It's, it's just, it's an undeniably unique and special experience that people love. And they, cause they know that that only has happened right now. And yeah. it's so special and fun. And especially if I can come up with something sharp. People are going to be like, whoa, how do you think of that that quickly? Yeah. That's such a cool, it's like a magic trick. And I, yeah. I I don't think I'll ever not do it. But I also feel like I kind of have to now. And I don't love that I have to. Yeah. But I'm also very lucky that I have to because I am I have an audience that is now expecting content. Exactly. It's like, so it's all, there's so many levels to it that like, I'm so grateful. And I also think about the art form of it too. But have I, have I had people in the front row who I'm like having weird interactions with all the time? For sure. I mean, it's like the amount of content that I have that I've never put out. There's all sorts of weird shit that's happened. Oh my God, all sorts of stuff. There's, you know, there was a woman who, you know, ran up to the stage and, and tried to tie my shoes. That clip went very viral. And I've had, I've had people yell weird stuff. I've had someone asleep. I mean, it's like, you've, you've seen it all. So how much percentage of the show is crowd work and how much percentage is the through line? Yeah. 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 Um, I'd say I do crowd work maybe 10, 12 minutes at most, maybe 15. So I have like, you know, of, of the set of jokes, those are probably like maybe 38, 40 minutes of, of actual like written yep. material. And then I'll kind of goof around for like 10, 12 minutes, something about, about that time. Sometimes I have to like stop myself from doing too much crowd work. I'm like, oh shit, I got to give these people some jokes. I'm getting too, I'm getting too into these people's stories. I got to, <laughs> I look at my timer on the stool and I'm like, oh man, I'm at 30 minutes. I got I to gotta get going here because I have stuff that connects at the end to different callbacks and the jokes I want to make sure to get out. So I have to be very cognizant. I was like, oh shit, I got to, got to, got to get back to reality here. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, comedians are pushing the boundaries with content and the subjects and all the different elements they discuss. We've got this cancel culture that's now in the world. And for people saying this or doing this or, you know, it's just ridiculous (laughs) in my perception. What is your feeling around cancel culture? And has it ever made you think, okay, maybe I shouldn't go there because of it? I mean, I don't think any comedian loves cancel culture because I think that with the internet, people are so quick to jump on something without mm. actually like reading the facts or actually like doing research. It's like if they see one article headline 
And that's it. That's their perception of this person where this person could have been completely innocent or the, the other person made up the story. Yep. It's kind of a scary time. People can just say whatever they want yep. and public will believe them. That's yep. terrifying. But I also, I'm lucky in which, well, I'm not lucky, but I, I've, I've, I've made a very conscious choice to not be the type of comedian that says a lot of offensive things. Mm. Um, not because I don't want to get canceled, but because I just don't like make people making people feel uncomfortable. I don't like when people pay money to go see a show, they get a babysitter and they sit in front row and they feel like shit. Yeah. It's like, it's not fun for me. Why is that a fun? I don't like getting a reaction out of people. So I don't really worry about this stuff. I've only had this happen really once where I like the internet turned on me for something. And it was the shoe. It was the lady who came to rust to the stage and try to tie my shoe because I basically had her thrown out and it was this whole thing. And a bunch of people on the internet, like took her side and were like, just let her do it. Let her tie your shoe. Why would you kick her out? You Karen, like blah, blah, blah. It was, it was really crazy. I did a, a on my podcast this last week, I actually did a whole breakdown of that whole experience of the internet turning on me and the actual show itself. So I did mm. the kind of deep dive. I call it shoe gate. <laughs> um, so if anyone wants to hear more, if anyone wants to hear more, they can just check out my podcast. Literally, literally this week that episode came out. So that's the only time I've ever dealt with that. It's really heavy when people are like, Hey, I, I'm unfollowing you because of this. Like, Oh, I liked you up until this point, And now I'm done with you because of how you acted and everyone yeah. who's sane, like on my side, but it was these internet people that just didn't understand how this works. Mm. So I've, I've definitely been a part of it and it sucks. It's really heavy. It's not fun to see like a ton of negative comments. It's, it really like affects you for sure. Of course. But again, I'm not the type of dude who's trying to like say the craziest thing and like get people to go, Oh, it's like, that's just not who I am. Yeah, yeah. I want people to have fun. Are you still doing acting besides comedy work? Uh, yeah, for sure. I, I, I just do auditions every once in a while. I, I don't work super hard at it. Um, I, because I, I never like worked at the ground floor of acting because I was doing that with stand up. I didn't want to do like the ground floor work of both. So, okay. um, if any if, random things will come in, I'll do commercial auditions. I'll do, uh, random movie auditions and just whatever comes in. Hopefully the bigger I get as a comedian, the more, uh, potential opportunities I'll be potentially given, or at least, at least, you know, can, can audition for. Yeah, That's yeah, how absolutely. I kind of see it going. And you enjoy doing, obviously, being on a movie set behind the scenes is boring, but sometimes also on being in front of the camera because it's hurry up and wait, make up hair, mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> and you yeah, just have yeah. to work lines and this angle, mm -hmm. that angle. So yeah. do you get bored with that or is it okay for you? It's, I mean, it's fine. Especially if you're on like a nice set where people are, you're, you know, there's a bit of a budget and you're being treated well. Like, yeah, it's yeah. fine. I mean, yeah. you're right. The waiting is like annoying. And especially as comedians, like we're not used to doing it. You don't show up to a show and wait for six hours. Like you're <laughs> waiting for like an hour at most. Right. Yeah. So we're used to like, you know, I, I, I don't even like going to a show and waiting around. I like to go to a show and immediately get on stage and then leave. Like that's what I would love to do. I don't want to yeah. talk to anybody. I want to just go do my job and get out of there. So acting is like a lot of just the opposite, <laughs> but no, I, I enjoy doing it. So I think it's, it just comes with the territory. Yeah. You're just like, yeah, this is, this is a part of it. It's all good. I know this will change every time I ask you this question because there's so many of them, but three comedians that motivated you to get into the industry that you mm. love, that you enjoy watching, watching or listening to. Who would your top three be in this moment? So I would say I would give these three from when I was younger because okay. they motivated me to love stand up. It would okay. be, it would be Dane Cook. Mm -hmm. It would be, um, Mike Birbiglia and it would be a uh, Mitch Hedberg. Three very different comedians. Dane Cook is a big act out crazy dude. Mitch Hedberg is like a one liner comedian and Birbiglia is like a storyteller. Um, okay. so those are three dudes that I, I loved growing up and made me just absolutely love stand up. And of those three types that you just mentioned, 
the storyteller, the one-liner, and I can't remember the first other Kind one. of like the act out kind of act, bigger. Act out. Yeah, yeah. bigger. So do you include all of that into your routine or are you specific to one? You know, I've never really thought about it, but you're, I have, I actually, I can say that I've included all that stuff. Yeah. Cause I have some jokes that are some quick, like one-liner things yeah. that you don't really expect. There's some stories I tell, uh, I'll, I'll they may be a little short. They may be a minute, minute and a half. That's still a story. And then, and then, stuff. oh yeah, for sure. I do a lot of big stuff on stage sometimes. Okay, cool. If I'm talking, you know, I have jokes where I talk about like the gym and I do a lot of like stuff. So yeah. Well, the podcast is listened to throughout the world. So as a final message to the listening audience, what would you like to say? Um, well, thanks for I mean, listening. If you made it this far, I hope people enjoyed my, my blabbering about standup. No, I think, I think just, I would love people to follow me on, uh, on Instagram and come see me on tour. If they, if I'm in your town, um, my website is just the wilburkhard.com. It's all on my Instagram. So you don't have to make it very easy for people, but, mm. um, hopefully we'll internationally tour at some point. I'm sure I think London will probably be the first stop. That's where I have the most demand. So that'll probably be coming in the next few years. And, um, and yeah, I also do a podcast called the Will Burkhardt podcast. Um, I don't know how I came up with that name, but I did. <laughs> and, um, and I basically give, I basically give, you know, like a kind of a behind the scenes look of what it takes to be a comedian and kind of the things that no one really talks about, um, you know, outside of the glamorous parts. It's like, here's mm. what it's really like. Um, and I do some interviews. I do, I kind of recap my, my shows. If I do, if I do like a, like, you know, I, next week I'm doing, you know, Raleigh and Charlotte, those are the cities I'm doing. And then, so the next podcast, I'll recap those yeah. shows basically okay. until I talked about how the whole experience was. So if you like stand up, I think you would like the podcast. Um, so yeah, that's what I would say. And just I'm putting out clips, at least one crowd work clip a week and it's keeping it rolling. And I appreciate you, uh, you having me and I appreciate people listening to this. I had a really nice time. You're, you're, you're asking some great questions. <laughs>